Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I will be reading the scripture for today's message. It's coming out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And it reads, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen, everyone. Savannah, stay up just for a moment. I just wanted to make a mention, Pastor Chad mentioned a few moments ago about some alterations to our missions week. And one of those is being not going door to door next Monday uh, for the sake of those that uh, live there. Uh, We are still waiting to hear back for our Tuesday Freedom Experience. We will let you know that in the next 24 hours. But Wednesday, tell us what's going on on Wednesday night. Yeah, so as you guys can imagine, things have shifted quite a bit. Um, with everything that's going on in our nation. So instead of throwing a block party at Ansley Park, we are actually not going to shrink away from the need, but we are going closer to it. Um, As a lot of you guys might know, the schools have dismissed for the next couple weeks, which means a lot of kids are going without their free breakfast and lunch. And so families are kind of in that mode of, oh my goodness, we don't know how we are going to provide food for our kids. And so that's where we're going to come in as a church. We are going to actually um, put together bags of food and deliver them to our friends at Ansley Park that we know and love. So this takes being compassionate and generous to the next level of going to our neighbor and meeting their specific needs. And so as we just encourage you guys, please Stay in the loop via social media. Our Instagram is dwellingplaceGA. We will be sharing any kinds of updates or further pivots on there with you as well as our Facebook page. We will put together a list of food items, but we do not expect you to spend anywhere between you know twelve to fifteen dollars above that. Um, and we are asking for around a hundred and twenty bags or so to be able to provide those meals for every single home, every single family that is in Ansley Park. So we will be organizing that. You are able to drop off your food bags Thursday at growth phases. You're able to do that next Sunday with us. You're able to bring them. We will be gathering here on Monday night instead of Springfield Drive like Pastor Chad had referenced earlier. But we're excited to take that step and meet the needs of our neighbors even more so now. Very good. And that's not this Monday, but the following Monday. So we will be packing the bags Monday night, delivering them on Wednesday evening. So y'all let Savannah know how much you appreciate her serving with our students. Thank you, Savannah. We're continuing our series today, Missions March, Beyond the 52, Beyond the 52 Sundays a Year. Today's a very simple sermon. If you didn't receive a message card upon your entrance, you can raise your hand. One of our ushers would love to serve you. You can, of course, find this on the YouVersion app as well. Today is... A very important sermon. It's very, very practical, but I think very, very dear to the heart of God. We're going to talk about how we, as the body of Christ, can have missional conversations. How can we have conversations about Jesus? How to talk to people about God who may not be interested in hearing about God. How to engage individuals in our culture who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me just go ahead and tell you, the first part of this message, what I want to do is I want to lay out a theology. And then I'm going to come and introduce a model. And once I introduce that model of where we can discern where people are, then we're going to come back and close by getting in touch with God's heart for people who are very far from Him. To get in touch with His heart for the law. So let's jump in. How many of you have this sense that it really is getting more and more difficult to talk about Jesus with people in our culture. I mean, really, think about it. To have true Jesus conversations, and I'm not talking about generalities, please hear me. I'm not talking about uh, conversations about faith, about mercy and morality. I'm talking about conversations about the explicit claims of the gospel. That in our culture, to have clear conversations with those who don't know God, like ask yourself this question, when is the last time 
You got into a conversation with someone who did not follow Jesus about substitutionary atonement. Listen, I know that sounds funny, but just follow me a minute. When's the last time you got into a conversation with someone who may be even a, a little bit of a seeker and you shared with them about God's side of the cross? What was going on there? When's the last time you talked to somebody about the role they played in the crucifixion of the Savior? What role they played? What, with the entrance of sin or here is about Jesus' atoning blood and sacrifice. We get and we have generic conversations in the West about faith, but rarely are we able to talk about the true heart of the gospel. Here's another challenge I think we face when we talk about having missional conversations. It's, it's not that it's just hard, but in many ways we look around and people seem to be like they're going, like life is going well for them. Like we look around and we see people like if you follow them on social media, you, you say, I don't want to mess with their flow, you know, because things are going well. But if you could ever really ever get behind the veneer of the, um, uh, the, the veneer that most of us in our culture feel obligated to project to the people around us, particularly in a place like Atlanta, where nobody's lonely, right? We're all doing well. We're all thriving. The life is amazing. You know, all things are going very well. But if you get behind that, what I think you find really quickly is there's a lot of disillusionment and there's a lot of heartache like life is hard for people and for other people it's brutal and many are faking it but inside it's not going as promised by the secular gospel it's not so we got to have this confidence as his church in in today's hour we got to have this boldness that it is safe to say that the secular story is not doing as well as our culture would tell us We have to have no qualms about that as his church. The secular story is not blessing people the way our culture is telling us that it's blessing people. One of my favorite quotes that's always stuck with me the last decade is a quote from George Orwell. This is what he said. And George Orwell and his great quote, if you'll follow along, you don't have that. Let me read it off your sheet here. Notice what it says. It says, I thought, I thought, I came to this understanding of a rather cruel trick I once played on a wasp. He was sucking jam on my plate and I cut him in half. We do have it. He paid no attention, merely went on with his meal while a tiny stream of jam trickled out of his severed esophagus. Only when he tried to fly away did he grasp the dreadful thing that had happened to him. It's the same with modern man. The thing that has been cut away is his soul. In some sense, people feel this. They understand this. They have basically in a secular society, we have told people that you don't need God, that faith is ridiculous, faith is arbitrary. You can do what you want and there's no consequence at all for your actions. And as we are feeling, watch this church, as we are filling our lives with the sweetness of sin that the world offers, coming out of our back is total disillusionment. Coming out of our back is total heartache, total brokenness. And yet in the midst of that, our soul is being cut away. Our souls are being cut away. So we have people in our culture that are still living with these, what I call, these desires for truth and beauty and wonder and transcendence and hope, but they can't find a place to put it all together. If you watch the media this week, it is amazing of how much people have these small little disintegrated areas of hope and wonder and transcendence, and they, they have no way as a secular society to put them together. This is what Charles Taylor said. If you want to talk about a prophetic word, he said, our society's desire to gather together the scattered moments of meaning in life in some sort of whole. And everyone in our culture is haunted by these transcendent moments. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's even late at work. You walk out of your work and all of a sudden you're haunted with this transcendence. And you look at the skyline and you think, whoa, did I, did I really sign up for this? You know what I'm talking about. The transcendent moments of life where you pause enough to say, what's going on here? Where am I at? Is this what I signed up for? What about this job? And you almost look at the city and see the city in a new light. You drive in this morning and no cars. There's no cars anywhere. And there's these kind of transcendent moments where we're haunted. And I believe what our culture is trying to do is our culture is trying to gather them together in some sort of coherent whole to make sense. Now here's the good news. In the sovereignty and wisdom and love of God, he's positioning you and me in this city right now with the good news of the gospel to help people. 
to bring the gospel to bear on people's lives. We are being positioned by God to bring the gospel to people who are far from him. Now notice what this text said that we just read, 1 Peter 3.15. Let's look at it again. Notice he said, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now watch this. The writer Peter is making lots of assumptions about your life and my life. Notice a couple of the assumptions. Number one, if you are a follower of Jesus in your interior life, in the deepest part of your soul, in the deepest recesses of your heart, there has to be and should be a reverence and a passion for Jesus. Like when is the last time you met someone who revered something? Revered them. Like we don't even use that word in our language anymore. But when you meet someone, watch me, don't don't miss this. When you meet someone who reveres Jesus as Lord, it does something different when you interact with them. When you have set apart or someone has set apart Christ as Lord of their heart, revere Christ in their heart, then what happens, the Bible says in Proverbs, out of the overflow of the heart, everything in life flows. In other words, when you find someone because of the mercy and the love and the beauty and the transcendent wonder and nature of Jesus in their heart, guess what will happen? Their sexuality will flow out in a different way into their workplace. Their, their own words would flow out in a different way. When you find them, what they find life in and joy in will flow out in a different way and people will begin to see that at your workplace and they'll say hey what is that you have but listen here's where it begins we can't jump to apologetics we can't jump to opening our mouths if we haven't revered Christ as Lord do you see this there's a there's a revere there's a a reverence where we set apart Christ as Lord people will begin to say where did you get this now listen what, what the writer of Peter is doing here he's writing to Christians who are experiencing great instability in Rome Rome is crumbling here And everything that Rome had promised to the people is crumbling. And so now they're realizing their secular story is not working as well as their culture would tell them. And yet now he's saying to the Christians, if you've revered Christ as Lord, you're carrying around a wonder and a a reverence regardless of the circumstances you face. Now listen, when it does something, what does it do, Pastor Craig? It produces provocative hope. So you set apart Christ as Lord and it produces provocative hope. You say, what do you mean provocative hope? People say, what is that within you? What is it that you've experienced that's different from me? The verse goes on to say, notice clearly that there is an assumption you have told people you are a Christian. Do you see this? It didn't say go tell them you're a Christian, then give them a reason. You've already told them because they come to you to ask you the reason. Do you see that? I'm teaching high school apologetics right now at, at, a, at, a, at a, a school locally. This is a key point that you have already told people you are a believer. You say, Craig, what do you mean? Do people in your world right now know you are a Christian? And if you don't tell them, they will misallocate that hope if they don't know it's coming from Jesus. They'll think you're dating somebody new. They'll misallocate that hope. They'll think that you're, 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 you've got a promotion at your job. And they will allocate the grace of God to some other force in your life. Listen to me. According to this verse, you are required by God to make the reason and the answer Jesus himself. You are required by God to communicate to them you are a Jesus follower. Listen, folks, I'm not trying to be judgmental or, or layer the hammer here, but here's what we have to be as people. We just have to let people know in our world and in our culture that Jesus and his people and his faith and worship and community and connect groups and discipleship, they're just a part of my life. And they're always going to be a part of my life. They're never coming a day when they're not going to be a part of my life. So when they come to you, you can give them an answer. It's your responsibility, according to Peter, to be able to communicate the good news of Jesus to people around you. But notice what he said. Do it with gentleness and respect. Now, if there ever was a word for the American church, this is the word gentleness and respect the level of rhetoric in our world contains so much violence and vitriol and and ugliness and it's condescending and if you don't agree with me I hate you and the rhetoric of even believers is horrific pastors you know wearing out other pastors for not having services today the vitriol the rhetoric is so disrespectful of other people so he says watch you have to make Christ 
the Lord of our hearts. It will produce a provocative hope. People say, what is that provocative hope? And you will gently and respectfully share the gospel. Now, I have a conviction, church. No matter what things or how good things seem to be going for people, there's two moments that will arise. And in these two moments, we will have the opportunity to do this. Now, what's crazy is that I wrote this message before the real crazy 48-hour window we had this week. It really was. It's amazing, honestly, how God, how God began to communicate this. So, so I'm going to say it, and you're going to think I, I did it, but I really didn't do it after what is being said, but before what's said. Here's the two moments that I believe are beyond beyond all different contexts and areas we live, they become moments where we can share this type of hope. First of all is people will face personal crisis. They'll face personal crisis. Now, what is personal crisis? That's when, that's when a person's worldview and framework no longer works. That means whatever resource they've had to live life up to this point, it's not working anymore. It's a dead end. So when that happens, life is hard for everybody. And people, for those who don't have a faith community where everything they have been fed so far from their jobs and the culture, it just fails them. Listen, can I just stop right here and say, do not, listen, church, do not take for granted the joy and privilege it is to be surrounded by people who believe what you believe, who love what you love, who will love you unconditionally, who will cover you in times of heartache, who will, who will get your back in the midst of financial stress, who will walk with you through the seasons of life. You know what a privilege that is in today's world to have a community of people who surround you, who know you, who love you, who care for you? Because so many people in our culture, they're a for a place to belong. So when a person with no community knows that you are at least a church attending Christian, they know at least at, 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 at surface value you go to another church, they will look around at their resources and realize what they have won't fix their crisis. What they have and what they've been given won't make it. I don't know what kind of personal crisis it is. Maybe it's a a personal relational crisis. Somebody gets in a relational crisis and they say, hey, I heard you go to church. Do y'all have anything for marriages at your church? Maybe it's something with their kids and they say, do you have anything for teenagers? Maybe it's a, a crisis uh, uh, that they don't have the resources to, to cope with and it's a financial crisis and they're embarrassed and they don't want to bring up that. And they, they say, is there any help from the people of God? Listen, this is an opportunity for you to bring the hope of Jesus into their lives. Now, I know we're so ruggedly individualistic, but one little single sale of RHA has shut the world down and put us all in this together. You can try to isolate and do all you want to do and say you're individualistic, but community is needed for every kind of healing in life. I'm going to say something authoritatively. Community is a necessary for healing for all the things. Depression, trauma, anxiety, grief, Loss, marital hurt, addiction, codependency, shame, sin. Healing is absolutely a prerequisite. But here's the problem. It is so hard to find real, real community. Most people don't know how to listen. They don't know how to empathize. They don't know how to weep with people. They don't know how to rejoice. They don't know how to, to not think that they already know everything and have an answer for whatever you're dealing with before they actually hear what you say. They don't know how to ask questions to understand where you're coming from. They don't know how to be humble and gracious. Let me tell you, Jesus does not make it where healing automatically all happens at salvation. He doesn't do it. He does not do it. He doesn't do it with any of us. Healing doesn't come in all areas of my life the moment I meet Jesus. Literally, he makes it where it requires community. For people to be healed, they have to be in community. So may we in this crisis be people who spend more time learning how to be with the broken than running to our stats to give people a right answer. That we are individuals who understand, listen, empathy beats a good word every time. And when people have a good word or a crisis, they don't just need a good word from you, they need empathy. They need people to listen. This is what Peter's getting at. You have to be the embodied presence of God. That is a personal crisis. But here's the second one. Cultural crisis. Cultural crisis. In the cultural crisis, there will be a shared experience. I literally put in my notes before. There will be a shared experience. It doesn't matter where you live that everyone will be talking about. And sometimes it will be around natural disasters. Others, it's connected to shootings and violence. And people are going to be saying, you know what? What does Jesus think of violence and guns? Other, other times, it's around politics. Right now, there is, a, there is a free fall where everyone wants to know what you as a Christian think about politics. 
I mean, sincerely, it's almost unbelievable. People immediately sense Christian credibility hinging on our political moment. You meet anybody and they think, if you're a believer, you're a pastor, then talk to us politically. What do you think about this? How do you deal with that? You know what you do in those moments? You know what you do in cultural crisis? You share the gospel. That's why they're there. Did you know God brought them to you to ask that question so you can share? That they come to you and say, hey, what do you think about this? They are literally genuinely curious. And as a nation, we're always going to go through times where people don't want to talk. But we're in a season right now of cultural crisis where this is actually able to happen. We can actually talk about Jesus. So by way of recap, you ready? The secular story is not working as well as the world would have you think it is. You carry the gospel because you've set apart Christ as Lord. God is positioning where you are right now in your workplace, in your neighborhood, because you are the person that God has chosen. You, with your story, with your experience, are the best person in history that God could have born and put in your neighborhood to reach the people that are next to you in the homes next to you. You are the absolute best person that God could think of. That's why he put you where you are. That's why God set you there. So what he's asking you to do now is to set him as Lord of your heart, to revere him. Then the provocative hope will come out of your lips. Your words flow out of your life. People will be drawn to you they're going to come to you and they're going to ask you and you sit back and you wait for these moments of crises and then you have these conversations now what do you say craig i got that i got the theology let's go to the framework what do you say when people do this how do you say it how do you discern where they are well this brings us to our second verse colossians chapter 4 let's read it let your conversation be always full of grace Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your speech be full of grace, seasoned with salt. It doesn't say that you may know how to answer the question. Leave it up there. That you may know how to answer the person. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I've read that text for a long time too. It didn't hit you like it didn't hit me for any years. He did not say that you know how to answer questions. He said that you know how to answer the person. There is a huge difference between what the person is asking the question that actually hangs in their heart. You're not answering questions that people give when they don't trust you. You're answering something that's looming in their heart. And you as a person, as a believer, have to have the discernment to know that the question they're asking is not the answer they desire. That what is looming in their heart in Christian discernment is to know the goal is not to actually know the answer. The goal is to discern where is this person on their faith journey and how do I partner with the Holy Spirit to get them to the next step. That I know how to answer everyone, not know how to answer every question. Don't go study books to know how to answer every question. You study people, observe people, know people to what? To understand how to answer that person. Listen, when you really start to engage God, think about your story. You've you got a thousand different questions in your mind, but that's not the true question that's in your heart. You've got a deep, burning desire in your heart for another type of question that you front with other questions. So listen to me. The goal is not what is the question being asked. The goal is what is the heart behind it and where. I think one of the greatest practices that Jesus modeled so well is knowing the actual conversation you're having. Because what presents as a theological question could just be bait. And he knew how to answer it. Or it could be a desire to belong. Somebody's asking you a question. They don't want you to answer it all. They want to know if their voice matters. And one of the pastoral practices that we've got to learn by the Holy Spirit in our day and age is what Jesus did. That he didn't answer everybody in the exact same way. It always amazes me about Jesus. He doesn't walk up to anyone in the same form and say, Hey, I'm the Messiah. Trust in me. No, he has a much different response, right? To the woman at the well, he's like, uh, How's that husband thing doing? Oh, oh, he's a scoundrel too, isn't he? First five didn't work. Well, I'm living water. Oh, well, well, I know when the Messiah comes, we're going to be able to worship. He said, I don't care about the details of worship. Listen to me. You're thirsty, very relationally thirsty. You've been seeking out your relational thirst for about 15 years with six different men, and I'm the living water. You see that? But then he goes to a man who uh, goes in the man's house and gets some mud patties, spits in the dirt, wipes his eyes. After he heals him, he says, don't you tell a soul I did it. Then he goes to another man in Mark 7, and the man's blind, and the man ultimately, or deaf and, and, and mute, unable to speak. So how do you heal somebody in a the language they understand? He takes them off by themselves, and he literally does sign language, touches his tongue, because when God heals people, he wants to heal them in a language they understand. 
And then what about that? There's this one time where he meets this guy Zacchaeus and he says, I'm not going to do any kind of work in your life till I get to your house because this is a relational thing. This must be done over a meal. And when I do it over a meal, the Holy Spirit operative, be operative in your life. You see that? Every one of them, Jesus was different. He knew how to answer the person, not the question. There was a missionary that came to a responsive part of the world in the early 1970s. His name was Jeff Engel. It was so responsive in this area. You'd never seen the gospel spread like this. He would go and say, hey, do you want to meet Jesus? And they'd say, no, I don't. Let me go get my entire region and bring back, and we'll all meet Jesus together and be members for your church. I mean, it was just like the most fruitful season of his life. He comes back to America, and he wrote a book in the 1970s, and he said, it doesn't work here! The gospel's not working here like it did over there. He wrote a book called What's Wrong with the Harvest? Jeff Engel. So what he did, he came up with something called the Engel Scale. And he came up with this understanding. He said people are are starting their journey on different levels of of distance from God. So we need to know where they are and then be able to move them. Now I'm going to show you the Engel Scale. Now this is not I made up. This is an Engel Scale that Jeff Engel made up and Norton made up. Let's go to the Engel Scale. Vertical Scale. Axiom Uno. There we go. So he, he creates this Engel scale. There's no knowledge, person has no knowledge of God, then they have an absolute awareness of God. So what he begins to tell us is that there's a person down at the bottom. You've got to discern where a person is. There's a person with no awareness of God. Then the next one, they have an awareness of the true God. They move from that to an awareness of the person of Jesus. When that person has an awareness of Jesus, they move to that, to an awareness of the gospel. Then they grasp the implications of the gospel. They realize the explicit claims of the gospel for them. Then, no, slow down, slow down. Then, this leads them to a personal problem. It's no longer, oh, there's sin out there and the world's falling apart. It's, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of grace. I'm in need of healing. I'm in need of reconciliation. They have a personal problem. This leads them ultimately to repentance and faith. That's what the next one is. Repentance and faith in Christ. That's where they become believers. That's where they say, you know what? I'm responding appropriately to what Jesus did on the cross. Now watch this. Then you go to a post-decision moment. And that's evaluation where you say, what have I really done here? What's actually happened when I made Jesus Lord? Then you move on to being incorporated into the body of Christ. And then after that, there is theological growth. You begin to start understanding the Bible. You begin to go to foundation phase. You understand what the word of righteousness is. You begin to understand and have a lens and a framework to understand the world around you. Then you go to behavioral change. Sanctification or transformation breaks in a person's life. They begin to allow their ethics to align with God's word, not the world they lived in. They begin to change and transform behavioral change then what happens they get involved into a disciple making moment and not only they being made disciples they're discipling other people and this ultimately leads to what we call kingdom mission kingdom mission now watch this leave that up there Engel's great insight was we can't assume people are anywhere near the red line we can't assume that But I don't know about you, that's not the only dynamic of people I witness to. Whether or not they have knowledge or not. So I made us a, another scale. Now before we get there, let me say something. America, in some sense, is a Christ-haunted culture. We live in a world where people have a high level of understanding about God, but those that do are closed off to it. So it leads us to the second framework. It's good to use Engel's framework... But don't we need something else? So how open are people to the faith? Let's look at a different axiom. You see this? Now we're at a horizontal axiom, not a vertical axiom. And watch this. How people on the far left are totally closed to the gospel. People on the far right are totally open to the gospel. Now, notice what happens in a person's life. You have people that are violently opposed on the far left. Think of people like Christopher Hitchens. Remember Christopher Hitchens just recently passed? That he called himself an anti-theist. He didn't say I'm an atheist. He said my goal in life is to eradicate religion from all the world. Violently opposed. Anti-theist. Then people who ridicule the faith. Those who ridicule the faith, right? You work with them. It's sophomoric. It's a joke. It's fairy tale. It's a myth. Then there's people that are not that angry, but they're certainly opposed to religion. They think it's unhelpful and they think it's harmful. Then you get someone who's resistant to it. So they go from being opposed to being resistant to it. So, so then you get people who are reluctant and they're like, I don't think so. And they go on to the next thing. Then you get people that are hesitant. Hesitant's different from reluctant. They're like, no, no, we're not going to do it. And then you get... 
completely apathetic. I'll do me, you do you, you just do what you want to do. Life is going well for me. I'll keep living my life. You keep living your life with a family and we'll just call it, you know, coexistence. And then at some point you get people that are open. Now here's the red line. Watch this. Now people are open. So somehow, some way, people get open, which means they say to you, hey, the way you've been doing you is better than the way I've been doing me, so what do you have that I don't have? Okay? Then people become curious about the faith. Once they get curious about the faith, they're then maybe interested in spirituality. So, whoa, something came alive, like I have an interest. And then they're intrigued. Aren't you intrigued by the person of Jesus? I mean, Jesus will intrigue someone as they're journeying towards God. And then they start to look for answers, right? They're looking for answers. And then what does that do? That causes them to long for the presence, or excuse me, promises of God to be fulfilled. They hear about other people having the promises of God operative in their families, so they long for those own promises to be upon them their family, then what happens? That leads to seeking. And then ultimately, they are hungry. Now watch this. Watch this. Let's go back to algebra. I'm going to take the two scales and overlay them. And we're going to look at one, two, three, four quadrants. You ready? Let's overlay them. Boom. Now watch this. So we have awareness at the top. We have no knowledge at the bottom. You have somebody totally closed at the left, totally open to the gospel conversation at the right. Now, you will find out, this is a very simple framework. <clears throat> you can do this on a sheet of paper with anybody at your, at your workplace, anybody in your life. Where is this person? Why? Because we've got to begin to answer the person, not answer the question. So how can I? Where are they in their faith journey? So for example, watch this. You see this. Now, now I want you to understand something. Let me say something real quick. This, this is just a tool to categorize people. Now, I'm not saying categorize people to dismiss them. I'm saying categorize people so that you can discern where they're at and understand them. Listen, we live in a moment where people love this stuff, do they not? Self-understanding? I'm a three with an almost indistinguishable two-wing on the Enneagram. I'm an ENFJA on the Myers-Briggs. I'm a protagonist. Y'all, I did it last night. It floored me. I did it again. I'm almost 99% extrovert now. I'm, I'm as high as it's ever been. And not only am I extrovert, I am a, I'm a person who is, a, who is a, um, ultimately uh, a strength finder, uh, uh, not turbulent person, but one who wants to engage other people, right? So I'm a protagonist. And then I saw who else is the protagonist. Number one was Oprah Winfrey. And I'm like, I'm Oprah Winfrey? I mean, that don't even make sense. <clears throat> but I'm an ENFJA. I can give you my top five strengths finders. I'm a high D. I'm a real high D. On the disc profile, DI. I'm a real high D, right? Blah, 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 blah. We love this stuff. We love this stuff. So watch. This is another way to understand where people are. So top right, watch this. If a person has awareness of the gospel and they're open to faith, we call them Christians. Watch this. Next, someone's really open to the faith, but they don't have knowledge. This person is curious. This is the person right now on your quadrant you should be inviting every single day to growth phases on April 14th. So they're open to the gospel. They're absolutely open, but they're very low in knowledge. Very low. Next, if you get someone over here, watch this. This is the hardest, y'all. This is the highest level of Christian knowledge and the most closed off. These are called cynics. Let me get let y'all in for some news. You ready? 65% of current churchgoers will fall into this category in America before they die. That's the current research. They're disillusioned by hypocrisy, they're seduced by sin, or they're hurt by the church. 65% of them will know good levels of understanding about God and his gospel, but totally closed off. They're the hardest to reach. They're the fastest growing demographic in Gen Zers and millennials, the fastest. People who know about God, but don't want him because of disillusionment, their hypocrisy, or the sin. Now, next, in the bottom corner, you've got people who have just ultimately are closed. They don't know, and they don't care. They don't know, they don't care, and they're shut out. Now watch this. This means if we know where people are, watch this, we need a different approach to each person. So here we go. You ready? If you know a seeking believer in your life, that's one of our priorities for Vision 2020, so you know a Christian, here's what we do. We partner with the Holy Spirit to get them to grow their commitment. 
So you know what you do? You walk alongside them and you just bless the tar out of them. You speak words of life over them. You give yourself to them. You encourage them. You make their commitment rock solid right now, right? In a turbulent time, you walk alongside that Christian. You partner with the Holy Spirit and you do everything you can to get their commitment strong. This is what you do. What do you do if you get someone who's curious? Here's what you do. If you get someone who is curious, go to the next one. You've got to start sharing with them content. So what you do for this person is you come alongside this person and say, hey, they've got major openness to the gospel, very little knowledge of God. So what I'm going to do is come alongside them and communicate the explicit claims of the gospel. This is the person, by the way, you need to start sharing the red letter words of Jesus. Literally let them become acquainted for the very first time with the content of the gospel. These are seeking believers. They need to know the explicit content of the gospel. Then you get cynical people. Now, none of us want to sign up for these people, okay? This is the one we don't want to sign up for. But you know what they need? They have to have a compelling vision of why to follow God. I'm talking about a compelling vision. Y'all, these people have to have compelling moments or they're never coming back to the faith. This is like dating someone who's recently been divorced like three months ago and you show up on their doorstep with flowers and you think it's going to solve all their relational problems. They're like, no man, you're going to have to compel me a little bit harder than that. Listen, if you walk up to somebody and just share the content of the gospel with a cynic, it ain't working. It ain't working. The vision of your life has to be so compelling. Listen, church, God, hear me, please, hear me, please, hear me. This is why for us in America, we have to have the integrity of our lives be at the highest level. That what we say we believe, we do for these people to understand. They need to see a vision of a life that is so compelling, that is so caught up in God's grace and power. For these people, 65% of those who grow up in church will fall into this category. So any approach you take will require extreme intensity to win their heart back. So listen, people say, well, in the church, we're quite generous. won't work. To reach top left, you have to be radically generous. People say, okay, what I can do right now is I can just be um, really, really kind. No, no, no. To win that person, you have to be breathtakingly kind. It's got to be so compelling. You've got to make Jesus look the best Jesus could ever look out of your life. You say, that's, that's wrong, right? No, that's right. Because you've got to know how to answer the person. Not answer the question, but to talk to the person. Profound integrity. Now, let me say something real quick before we go to the fourth quadrant. As a church, can I just say you and your lives have done a remarkable job of this? Can I, can I just show you right now I have pastoral pride in you? Well, you do. You, you DP people, you bring me joy. You know why? Because I weekly hear another story of somebody says this. And I grew up in church. I got real disillusioned by the church. I rebelled. I went crazy. I met so-and-so at work finally. And when I met them at work, I saw their life. I watched them from a distance, and then I saw their faith community. And man, they've won me back to the faith. In fact, that's probably the number one person we've reached in terms of a profile in these first five years since relaunch. You know how much pastoral pride and joy I get out of that? People who have been totally turned off by the faith. And then lastly, you get the close people, and you know what they need? Credibility. The Christian gospel needs credibility. Now I want you to hear something. This is the classic view of apologetics. You ready? You're going to see it on your card. Christianity is intellectually credible and existentially satisfying. You know what that means? That means Christianity makes sense and it fills the human heart. That's what closed people need. Closed people need to know that there's credibility to the gospel, that the gospel actually can apply to today's world, to the environment that we live in. So here's my question. How do we then begin to process faith with them? Okay, so let's go back to our axiom. You ready? This is going to be fun. You ready? This is so exciting. Um, This is the teacher in me. All right, so here we are in our axiom. We've got a person. They're over here. They're closed off to the gospel and have very little knowledge. Okay? So you got this challenge. Woo! I got this. I get this idea. I'm praying. I'm believing. And as I believe, they make that step. Now, let me say something real quick. Let me say something. In Atlanta, we are super transient. I know all of America is transient, but we are super transient. If you live in your home or, or live in your job, work at your job for more than two years, there's already suspicion like something's wrong with you. 
Okay, we are super transient people. Listen, and even if you do work in the same job for more than two years, you have different team members. So the ability to preach the gospel to people is extremely difficult. That's one of the things that hit me this week that's so hard about our culture. If you have a transient culture, try to build long-term longevity and sharing the gospel with somebody you know for less than two years. It's super difficult. So one of the challenges we face as Americans is that transient nature. Now watch this. We've got to accept the fact that we might not get to see the person take every step. Like, you might not get to walk them from being total pagan to, like, missionary to Syria. You know what I'm saying? Like, you won't get to, It's a process. I read research this week. Steve Sargon, he just came out with a new book of how pre-Christians process the faith. Here's what he said. In America, it takes seven positive encounters with a truly lost person with a Christian before they even get open to hearing the claims of Jesus. They have to have seven positive encounters with a Christian. A credible Christian, compassionate, living witness of Jesus. Seven times, seven different ones before they're open. So we play that incremental role. It may look something like that. Now that might not be everything you hope for and dream for for that person in your workplace. But in a person's story, y'all, that is a significant shift. If you've ever been with people that are no knowledge and clothes, that's a significant shift. Now, as I reflect on my own journey, there were, there were moments that didn't seem that big, but they cracked open my resistance to the gospel. Or maybe you get someone over here. You ready? You get some over here and, and, and real curious, and you would say, hey, would you like to come to growth phases in April? And boom! Boom! <laughs> boom! <laughs> Is it not moving? Yes! incredible, tremendous growth. Just keep going with me, sister. Just keep going. So they have no knowledge, and they go to growth phases, and whoo, spiritual progress. Maybe you get someone over here. They're disillusioned. Watch this. They've given up on the faith. You see them in the top left? And then you say, hey, would you, would, you, uh, would you like to start hanging out with me? And then what they do is they get caught up in the relational web of your community, and they get drawn over here because the community around you was so beautiful. Or maybe you get someone down here, like way down here, and God just somehow, super, down here, down here, there you go. And God just supernaturally draws them. So you see the movement. Now, I want to say something. Are they just hanging up on us? Yeah, just keep moving. There you go. God draws them up into the open quadrant. Now, watch this. I want to pause and say something real quick. I am a spirit-filled believer. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit with every gift of the Bible. But we have to acknowledge this. What often looks like an immediate breakthrough is often a very long, slow process of people beforehand for the last 27 years playing their part incrementally to get them for you to enjoy the harvest. It's like you walking through the apple orchard in September and you just go down the row and your, your, your rear just touches the tree and your hand's right there and you just catch the apple and say, ah, <laughs> look, I'm a great harvester. You weren't there. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. But this is what we happen, right? We think we're the harvesters. And so many, so many times I said, God, would you let me bump the trees? I would prefer not to be the ground tiller here. But if you want me to be ground tiller all my life, I'll be ground tiller. But would you please give me some objective sense where I can see some fruit? Right? Like, God, you want to give the increase. So listen to me. I believe in breakthrough. But I believe in breakthrough that often requires a tremendous process beforehand. So here's the challenge. You ready? We get afraid, and we get someone down here, go to the next one, and we get someone down here, and we think, oh, here's our, oh, no, go back. Okay, we get someone down here at the bottom, and, and, and honestly, we think, man, I've got a plan, this is what's going to happen, and then all of a sudden, as we start engaging them, boom, this is what the process looks like, okay, and often... This is their process. Now watch this. This person starts over here. They couldn't care less about the gospel. Couldn't care less. And they start seeing a bit. And they get on lot. Late one night, they get on YouTube and see some Christian saying something. Boom! They drop back down, man. They're like, that's rubbish. What in the world are those rubbish people doing, right? And then they get someone online and they're coming back to the faith. And they meet someone online who's not a Christian. And wham! They, they move over to the close. No, I'm totally closed off to the gospel like that. There's, you know, and, then, and God's sovereignty, God breaks up with them. And they're crying. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And God brings them back to sovereignty, right? And brings them back to Christian community. And they don't realize that God calls them to break up on purpose. And then all of a sudden, 
they're open and then, and then they're watching another visit, a, a YouTube video and they kind of fall into hesitancy a little bit and, and they're open and they read something and then they go on an all night prayer. Woo! They hit the bottom and go on an all night prayer but then all of a sudden they, they, they think, well, did I make that up? That was a coercive environment. They kept me for eight hours and played on my emotions to make me follow Jesus. I know it was a concern. I know, I know it really didn't happen. And so then they kind of fall back to close again and then what happens? The Holy Spirit just brings them home, baby. He just brings them home. Now, now listen, that is most of our stories. That is. Here's my point. Faith and walking with people is very mess- messy. And your journey is going to look like that more than it looks like the other. And let me just say something. We've got to be patient with people. If Jesus personally discipled 12 people for three years and his greatest moment, they forsook him and betrayed him. One of them betrayed him. All of them left him. One of them committed suicide. The others are still fighting while he's washing their feet about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. If three years with Jesus personally discipling you takes a moment, let's have a little patience with people. Let's have a little patience. It takes the process. Now let's talk about what's happening behind the scenes and we'll close. So that's up front. You ready? Theology, framework. Now let's talk about what's behind the scenes. It's called intercession. Intercession. Now here's what's happening. While this process is going on, what we are doing is we are crying out to God in intercession for their salvation. It often blows my mind, y'all, how little prayer people actually put out for those who don't know Jesus. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, if if every person you're praying for right now who doesn't know Jesus, every one of them who doesn't know Jesus, God answered those prayers tonight, how many would come to Christ this week because of your prayers? One or two? Nobody? That's what my students said in school this week. I don't know any non-Christian people. We failed them miserably. We failed them miserably. If God answered all your prayers you prayed for the last 30 days, would anything in the world change or just your world? What does your intercession look like? God has called us to partner with him in interceding for the lost. That's how his spirit is released into the lives of people and he rescues them. Right now we can intercede for a non-believer and the Holy Spirit can be dispatched to mess with that person this week. That's how he gets involved. That's how the Holy Spirit moves on people. It's called intercession. Now, here are a few simple ways to pray. You ready? And I'll close. Here's what you do. I'm going to give you some real simple things. You say, Craig, I can't write this fast enough. All these slides are going to go on Facebook, I promise you, this week because I'm really excited about them and I'm thankful Tony spent a lot of work on them. So here's what happens. Here's what you do. You start praying the scripture of them. You ready? Here we go. Lord, I pray right now that you would draw John to yourself. You said if I be lifted up, all men, you would draw all men to yourself. Lord, I pray right now that John seeks to know you. You said in Acts 17, 27, you said, God, that John, you, you set his dwelling place and the time in which he would live, that those people would search after you, though you're not far from any of them. Lord, I pray that John hears and believes the word of God, that he would be open, his heart would be open. I ask you to prevent Satan from blinding John to the truth. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, you've blinded the minds of the unbelievers, so open up that mind, open up his eyes. Holy Spirit, I ask you to convince Convict John of his sin and reveal his need for Christ's redemption. I ask for you, God, in your, your wisdom to, uh, for a chance to share your word with John. Lord, I know if he hears your word, faith will be author. I ask that you give me or my fellow disciple the opportunity, the courage, the right words to share the truth with John. Lord, that I would be ready to share that, that truth with John. That I would give resource and I would give, let my speech be full of salt in John's life. And I pray, listen to me, never underestimate the power of consistent intercession for those who are far from God. You can't. I'm in this room right now because of intercession. There's two moments that mark my life. My mamaw was the only one that was a believer in our family. I have my earliest memories, three or four years old, she would rock me and would be praying in the Spirit, speaking in tongues. And it wasn't until much later in life that I recognized and had recollection of those moments. There's another one where she was, I was probably eight years old at her house. You know what she said to me? She said, God told me, Craig, that you're going to serve him. And she kept on praying and kept on praying. Did you know that when I was 16 years old, I walked into a church one day, my life out of control. Next thing you know, I'm slain in the spirit. I'm two weeks later laying hands on people, preaching the gospel. My life totally changed. Listen, through prayer, my mamaw came in the spirit realm and got my heart and dragged me into the kingdom of God. She dragged me. I'm not saying that as a formula. I'm telling you as my personal testimony. 
I'm here today preaching to you. Why? Because my mamaw didn't give up on praying. And it's hard to articulate, but I tell you, when I met Jesus, you know what, mom? My mom and family were not saved. I cannot tell you. I don't know how it happened, but in a moment of intercession, by my bedside, I saw my mom coming to know Jesus. And listen, when you're in this process, you can go and just be handing out flat whites and lattes saying, growth phases in two weeks. You're just real, you're real, real nice in person. But then you go by, summon the intercessors! John needs Jesus! I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Like You can be really gentle up front, but you're violent behind the scenes. This is how change happens. Listen to me, y'all. It's too dark. It's too godless. It's too secular. Normal prayers will not work today. We are in Mark's gospel where the disciples are trying to cast out demons and they're not coming. And Jesus says, these come out by prayer and fasting. Listen, your mama or grandmama's prayers are not enough to bring this next harvest into the kingdom. It's going to take us praying, fasting, interceding, and pressing in. I don't know how else to say it. So come on, Dan. Now that you know the secular story's not working, now that you know God puts you in His position, now that you know you've set apart Christ in your heart, it's produced a hope, you have answers, you know how to discern someone, now behind the scenes, we go to God and we partner with the Holy Spirit and we cry out to God. So I leave you with these three questions. You ready? Here's your three questions. Who is God leading me to? Do you know who that is? You want to see work change from a burden to an opportunity? Just ask God where he's working in your workplace. You feel like your work's a burden? Just ask him, I dare you this week. Lord, where are you working this week? And that, that, that workplace would no longer be a drudge. It will be an opportunity. Where are you working? Secondly, where are they on their faith journey? What's the next step for them? What's the next incremental step? Thirdly, how do you get them to take the next step? How do you cooperate with the Spirit to get them to take the next step? You know what the disciples said in Acts 4.20? Here's what they said. <laughs> they said, as for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Y'all know what I'm talking about. In our day and age, I mean, when you live in Atlanta and you, you find a little hole in the wall you like, what you do? Woo, I'm on Instagram. Hey, y'all, look where I'm at. Look, I found this good place to eat. Or look what I'm doing, right? Because we just want to project it out there. Twitter. You know what the disciples said? Hey, we've seen this Jesus. Listen, we're not trying. It's flowing. We don't know how to stop talking about what we've seen. Is that how you feel? We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. I'm sorry. I've got to sense this, this moment. Y'all, we didn't start this church merely to be another option for Christians in the Christian plethora of choices in Atlanta. As much as we want to be a place and a home for people who need to know Jesus... We have to act with the urgency of the gospel. There's more rejoicing in heaven, Stacy, from one sinner who repents than 99 who are self-righteous. Listen, I'm all for it. I want to be as honest as I can. We started this church with a passion to see thousands of people that are in metro Atlanta who don't know Jesus to meet and find him. I don't want to lead a church where the angels in heaven look at it and say, Woo! And they fold their hands and say, Man, I love DP. They're the bride of Jesus. But we're not going to celebrate them because lost aren't coming home there. That's not the kind of church I want to pastor. Now here's the challenge. That's not going to happen because of Pastor Chad's sermons or my sermons. Y'all, I'm preaching my guts out up here. I'm preaching my brains out. But let me tell you something. This city will not be won by my sermons and his sermons. It's going to be won by your life. Your life. Your everyday existence. God has deployed you and positioned you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.